Good evening, everyone. It's a real pleasure to be with you this evening, uh, and it's uh, great to be back. We were just discussing earlier, I think it was about two years since I was last here with you. Uh, tonight we're going to look uh, a little bit, as has been said, at Christ, cross, oh, sorry, Christ, creation, and the cross. Just work out which way this switches uh, as well. So what we're going to do is, to do that, we're going to look at the book of Colossians. And so I'm going to read from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And feel free to look it up. It'll also be in the screen behind us as well, uh, if you want to follow that way. So Colossians, chapter 1, starting to read at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. <laughs> For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. <clears throat> Book of Colossians chapter 1. Whenever I'm looking at anything from Scripture, I just love to unpack a little bit about what's going on and love to understand a little bit about the context that's actually happening behind the scenes. And there's stories like this that just fascinate me whenever you unpack a little bit about the narrative and what might have been going on. The book of Colossians, we talk about it as being a book, but of course, it's not a book, it's a letter. It's a letter that is written to a particular set of people at a particular time. It was a book written to a church that was in what we would class as modern-day Turkey, Colossae. And in that church, most of the folks there weren't coming from the Jewish background that we would normally think. Often whenever we read the New Testament, we read as if Everybody's living within Jerusalem or living within 
sort of, you know, the Israel as it was at the time. But actually, very little of the New Testament was set in there. You have the Gospels, but most of the letters were actually written to people out with that context and in a different situation. And so actually the church that's being written to here are actually mostly non-Jewish. They're not coming from a Jewish background or anything like it. In fact, what had happened was that a preacher had come through and they'd heard the gospel from them. And they were telling them all about this Christ or Jesus Christ. And the funny thing is, whenever we talk about Jesus Christ, we often refer to Jesus Christ as if Christ is the surname. But of course, it's not Jesus' surname. It's actually Jesus the Christ is the better way to understand it. Jesus the promised one. The anointed one. Jesus the one that everybody is waiting for. Jesus the Christ. But of course, if you don't come from a Jewish background and you've never heard of this Christ figure or the Messiah as it is in, in Hebrew terms, then you're probably scratching your head going, well, yes, we get that we're waiting for somebody, maybe perhaps, but we don't get it. We don't understand the background. And so for them, they were trying to unpack and work out who was this Jesus and what did it mean to be the Christ? What did it mean to be the one who was being waited on? And so they had lots of questions about what that would mean. What happened in the church was that there were some Jewish Christians arrived in the scene. They showed up and sort of arrived in Colossae and were, became part of the church in Colossae. But by being Jewish Christians, they were coming from a Jewish background. And they were saying, well, to be a Christian, you need to become a Jewish Christian. So you need to go through all the rituals and sacrifices. You need to be circumcised. You need to eat only certain things. You need to do certain rituals. You need to recognize the festivals that we hold. And so they're starting to unpack this and work out, well, what does this mean whenever somebody arrives at the door of the church? A man called Tychicus. He's walked, or traveled at least anyway, all the way from Rome, carrying a letter. A letter from the Apostle Paul. Paul was recognized by the church everywhere at the time as being somebody who was really enthused by non-Jewish people becoming Christians and about teaching them and helping them to understand what that might mean to become a Christian at that time. And Paul had heard about this church in Colossae and he had sent Tychicus, who's originally from there, along with another chap called Onesimus. And they travelled together carrying two letters. The one that Onesimus was carrying was to three members of the church, Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus. And we have that letter in our Bibles, and we just call it Philemon. But he was travelling with Tychicus, and if you read the end of, of Philemon and the end of Colossians, and you can see that they were travelling together with these two letters. And Tychicus was travelling with an open letter to the wider church. And it was really to try and tackle some of these problems about what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to follow the Christ? In the letter, in chapter 2, verse 17, Paul is actually 
unpacking these things and actually says, well, you know, there is an importance to these, but in verse 17 he says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul doesn't throw out all the rituals and all the ceremonies and uh, all the festivals, but what he does say is, they're just a shadow. Who you need to focus on is Christ. Christ is the one. Christ is the one that we should be focusing our eyes on and understanding and getting to know who that is. And basically the whole letter of Colossians is going through, unpacking, what does this Christ look like? Who is this Christ and what does it mean to wait on him? And he does it in very interesting ways. And particularly in the passage that we read. The, the passage that we read is what we would call a Christological hymn. A hymn about Christ. It was thought to be a hymn that they might have sang uh, normally throughout the region. Uh, as a hymn about Christ. In the same way as we might sort of stand up and sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. If I just inserted that into the sermon then you would know exactly what I was referring to. Well, in essence, that's what Paul's done here. He's inserted this hymn in to point people to who Christ is. And he uses some interesting terminology because he doesn't say that this is merely a person. He actually makes divine claims. He's not just the one that people are waiting on. He is God. He is God. He's a person in the Godhead, the Trinity, as we would understand it. And it's very striking language. If you look at verse 15, he refers to Christ as being the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. What a claim. To these people who were kind of just expecting a human to be anointed and to be, you know, people to be waiting for someone, to say that this person is the image of of the invisible God. The, word, the Greek word that's used here is the word icon. Now, whenever I talk about icons normally, and whenever we mostly talk about icons, you normally mean something on a computer screen. You know, something that you tap that gives you access to a particular program or an application on your, on your screen. But that's exactly what an icon is. You know, it's a way of connecting with what is behind it. It was a way of connecting with God, of understanding who God is, of knowing God by seeing the image of God there and present. He goes on to say in verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All his fullness. <coughs> Paul is not messing about. He's not holding back at all. These are grand claims that were unheard of at that time to actually say that. You were living in a culture, you know, it's part of the Roman world with many, many gods, but nobody would ever claim that this person was a god. The gods were the idols, were the gods were ones that we maybe didn't have access to there. But to claim this person was not just a god, but the god was incredible. Something truly to be grasped. But not only does he make the broad claims in the, in the, sense, in the phrases that we've already used, but he also associates Jesus, the Christ, with creation. If I was to ask you today, how do you know that God is God? 
How do you define God or conceptualize God? You could say, well, you know, he does things. Well, people do things, you know, or, you know, you can sort of use all sorts of phrases. But one of the things that often stands our understanding of God apart from all else is he made all things. Now, don't get me wrong. We make things too. But he makes things out of nothing. Ex nihilio is, is the Latin term that's used. Makes them out of nothing. Can create out of nothingness. And Paul goes on to make these claims about Jesus. He first he says, the image of the invisible God, which we've already referred to. But remember, where have we heard that word image before? Think back to Genesis 1, 2 and 3. God breathed life into humanity, who he made in his own image. Now, it wasn't the true image. It wasn't, we're not in any way saying that we are, in the same sense, the same as Jesus is. But what we were was a pale reflection of who the Christ would be. The Christ that would redeem all things. And then he goes on and says that all things were created in him, through him, and for him. See, the interesting thing about us is whenever we think about Jesus or think about Christ, we think either of two things. We either think of Jesus in his earthly state in the Gospels and going around with miracles and parables proclaiming that the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he would say. Or the kingdom of God is like, and you almost name your parable there, use of metaphors and understandings, and he's proclaiming that this is coming, and then he's showing it in miracles. He's showing that that is coming. One of the things about the Gospels is, um, and slightly frustratingly sometimes, is whenever you try to grasp what is the kingdom of God, Jesus never seems to give a straight answer. It's always, it's like a... Paul, however, is a little bit more straight-talking. And in Romans 14, it says, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, joy, and peace. Righteousness, joy, and peace. In fact, that word righteousness is probably better uh, translated as justice, joy, and peace. That's what Christ was about. That's who Christ was about. Proclaiming that kingdom. So we think of Jesus in the Gospels, or else we think of Jesus in the what is to come, in the one who gives us eternal life, the one who promises all these things because of the work done on the cross. What we think less about is about Jesus Christ and creation. Those are powerful words. All things were created in him, through him, and for him. And if we were to take those words seriously, then we might have a slightly different attitude about the world we live in. Because we often don't think of creation uh, in the way that we should. We think that often you might uh, hear people in wider society talking about uh, all sorts of uh, eco-friendly things. 
And that's absolutely right. You know, it's important for equal justice and everything else. But they talk about it in a worldly sense. And we don't think it's anything to do with being a Christian. But actually, if we're to take the fact that all creation was created in him, through him, and for him, then actually, how we care for creation is actually part of our Christian faith. If we're following Christ, the one who all this is in, through, and for, then it changes things. It's one thing that we are uh, very passionate about in Tear Fund, and it's for multiple reasons, and I'll explain as we go on. But we realise that actually creation isn't being cared for the way it should. In fact, the first mandate that was ever given to mankind was to go into the garden and take care of it. And we're not very good at taking care of what we've been given. I have three children, eight, seven, and five. I know all about not taking care of the things you belong to. You can imagine what it's like with three young children if you don't have them yourself. But that's something we need to focus on. One of the issues that we have today is plastic. It's not often we talk about plastic from our churches, but if it's part of a creation and we're caring about it, then we need to think about what we're doing around plastic. Around the world, about a million plastic bottles are bought around the world each minute. So if you think about if this is a 60-minute service, uh, and I'm not making any promises about that just now, uh, if it's a 60-minute service, then that's 60 million plastic bottles are bought. And if you think that's around the world, then multiply that by 24, because it will be 24 hours around the world, then you're getting sort of close to your daily sort of use of plastic bottles. And each bottle uh, takes about 450 years to decompose. So if King Henry VIII had drank uh, out of a Coca-Cola plastic bottle, it would be just about still here today. So it was that kind of length that it takes to get rid of. And if we go around the world, about 73% of all of our beach litter is plastic. And the maximum penalty in some countries for even using a plastic bag can be four years imprisonment in somewhere like Kenya. And that fascinates me because it shows that places like Kenya and Rwanda and France, in fact, Jeremy was talking to you about Rwanda this morning, I went with Jeremy to Rwanda, and the first thing you notice as you get into Kigali Airport is a big sign saying, plastic bans are not allowed here. And yet we buy them for 5p. The thing is that they know the damage that it does to their society. They know the impact it can have. And that's why they take quite severe steps regarding things like plastic. In fact, if we think wider about waste, we in the UK produce about 230, uh, sorry, 223 million tonnes of waste per year. And each of us, as individuals, produce about 409 kilos of waste. That's around about four to five times our body weight each year in waste. Now, I'm not going to judge whether it's four times your body weight or five times your body weight. I'm not going to go down that route. You can do that calculation, yourse calculation yourself. But just think of how much that is. It's just incredible. 
that actually, well, every, almost every two months, every two to three months, we're producing our body weight in waste. Even as a family, most of our families throw away about 20% of our food. And that not only does it cost about £800 per year, but think about where that food's come from. That food is mostly shipped from overseas. And think of how much it's actually gone through to actually get to our waste bins where it's not even used. And although we currently recycle about 45% of our waste, which isn't good enough, but that's roughly how, how much we do, about two-thirds of that is actually shipped overseas. This is like the Philippines, for example, where it's shipped there and some of it's recycled and some of it's just left there lying. And it has a huge impact on us and on them in those societies. And that's why we care about it. That's why we as Tear Fund actually are uh, really campaigning and, and looking at what does it mean about plastic. It's for two reasons. One, because if we care about Christ, we care about creation. And secondly, because it is impacting the lives of people around the world. Let me show you a short film clip just to give you a little hint of that. Oh, sorry, not quite there yet. Uh, what I'll do is I'll introduce you to this. This is Kinshasa. Kinshasa is in the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, the DRC, as you might know it as. And uh, our CEO, Nigel Harris, uh, was there just a couple of weeks ago. And he saw this river of plastic. It is a river. It's a river underneath that. And instead of me explaining a little bit about it, I'll let him explain it to you. My name is Nigel Harris. It's my privilege to be TFN's chief exec. And I'm doing this recording uh, here in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where I'm visiting our team on the ground for a couple of weeks. The DRC is one of the toughest places that Tier Fund works worldwide. 176 out of 188 on the Human Development Index. Country racked by violence, by instability, by poor governance. Um, and now, of course, with an Ebola outbreak. It's also a remarkable country, so beautiful, as you may be able to see behind me. It's Tier Fund's second biggest program uh, worldwide. It's our biggest in terms of uh, our staff team. Uh, we've been working here in the Congo for uh, about 40 years, and we do both operational work, uh, typically responding to emergencies, and um, long-term development work. A couple of days ago, we were in Beni, uh, which was the epicentre of the outbreak of, of Ebola, uh, where more than 1,000 are already confirmed dead from this outbreak. It may be many more. And we have an extraordinarily brave team there on the ground, um, sensitising the community to Ebola, working with church leaders, with pastors, who have remarkable ability to reach their people. And we also then um, support uh, health centres in and around the Beni area. That's much more technical. We've been putting in latrines, incinerators, what they call triage centres, where uh, people can be isolated um, and putting in water points. Um, most of our work here in the DRC is actually funded by the big institutions, the British government, the US government, the Dutch government, the UN system, the likes of UNICEF, etc. And we met with one community where church and community together had built a health centre, built a school, were putting in savings, extraordinary work. I'm standing here in Kinshasa, capital city of the Democratic Republic of Congo, home to 12 million people. The locals used to call this city Kin La Belle, Kinshasa the Beautiful. Now they call it Kinshasa La Poubelle, Kinshasa the Dustbin, Kinshasa the Trash Can. Beside, behind me you can see a river. It is a river, but it's now a river of plastic bottles. 
up to one million people a year around the world die because of the effects of pollution caused by waste. Two billion people don't have their rubbish collected. Tearfund is working with our partners here in Kinshasa on recycling projects to try and reduce uh, some of what you see behind me, providing jobs and income for the locals, recycling to reduce the health and environmental hazards. But that can only ever be a small part of the solution. That's why we are calling, with your help, on multinational companies to halve the amount of single-use plastic, to report on the volumes that they sell, and to commit to collecting one single-use plastic for every one that they sell. Please go onto the website, www.tearfund.org forward slash rubbish. Please help us to change what you see behind me. Many thanks. Don't know if you noticed there that as he was standing next to the river, something behind him, uh, completely unplanned, and it was only afterwards, whenever they looked back at it, they, they could see that it was actually literally just people throwing bottles behind him into the, into the river. And it was having a, a harrowing effect, and you, you can see a little bit about what was going on uh, there, and it's devastating to many people around the country. That's Kinshasa, but we're seeing the same thing in many, many countries. Two billion people don't have any form of waste collection. It literally gathers in their backyards. And it causes all sorts of disease and, and all sorts of other problems uh, with it. Let me introduce you to Dan Maria. Dan Maria lives in uh, Arrecife. And she says that actually one of the problems that they have is that it clogs up all the drains and all the barriers and actually causes flooding of villages. It causes the rivers to overflow. And it's just bottles, plastic bottles that are there. Mostly water bottles, but Coke bottles and other things as well. It literally clogs it up and causes the whole village to have to evacuate. To move to other parts of the country or move into the hills because actually there's the only way where they can get some safety. This is Rubina. Rubina lives in Islamabad. She's got three children, uh, a girl and two boys. Her youngest boy is disabled. Uh, he was born with a disability, uh, which one of the problems he has is respiratory problems. But because of where they live and the fact that they are surrounded by rubbish, and most of it, well, not most of it, some of it is burning, then actually the fumes from that, the chemical fumes, is actually causing all sorts of breathing problems that he's regularly having to go into hospital. Uh, to have breathing apparatus on to try and clear his airways. And her older son uh, also has been found playing in some of the kind of burning plastic and actually has received some chemical burns uh, from it. And you can imagine the fear uh, in Rubina's face whenever uh, she saw that happening and uh, thinking, I've already got one disabled child, you know, imagine another one. Let me show you a little clip that talks a little bit about them and other things as well. The world has a rubbish problem, and it affects the poorest the hardest. That's because two billion people worldwide don't have their rubbish collected. In Pakistan, 20 million tonnes of rubbish are created every year. majority of this waste gets burnt, emitting pollutions in the air that are damaging to the health of people. Single-use plastic products are rubbish. The global companies that make them 
know that many communities have no choice but to burn the waste or live among it. They need to take responsibility. Please sign our petition and let's put an end to this rubbish problem. You can see a few images of Rabina there. Uh, she lives in Islamabad in Pakistan and they're starting to we as Tearfund are doing all sorts of types of work around recycling hubs and uh, sort of our CEO Nigel had mentioned that as well to try and clear up things and, and not see plastic as something that is waste but to see how it could be used. This is a Christian problem. How do we understand this Christ? See the thing is that sin that has separated us from Christ is a form of alienation. It's an alienation from God, from who God is. That's what sin is. But likewise, it alienates us from other people. It damages our relationship with other people and how we relate to them. The fact that we've got people around the world that we switch off to or we think that doesn't affect us. If Rubina lived next door to us, would we care a little more? We probably would, but it's easy to switch off whenever there's distance. There's also an alienation from creation, from the world that God created. And also there's an alienation from ourselves. Remember what I said the kingdom of God was about? According to Paul, righteousness, joy and peace. Sin separates us from that peace. Peace within ourselves and peace with other people. The great thing about Colossians and the great thing about this passage is there is hope. Let me read you a couple of those verses again. Verses 19 to 22. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I have to hold my hand up. I am part of those that have been responsible for plastic. I think we all do. We've all got some kind of responsibility in there. We use it every day. It's part of just our normal everyday lives. But we know that God redeems all things. That reconciles all things. And it's because of the cross. Because of his blood. And that gives everybody hope. As I finish up, one thing I'd like to encourage you to do, uh, or two things I'd like you to encourage you to do, is possibly sign up to our campaign and think about, okay, how can we get these companies to actually reduce down some of their single-use plastics to half of what it is and to report sensibly on how they're actually producing and using plastic. But likewise, I'd also encourage you to fill out one of the white forms that's either in your chair or there's some up here or you will have got some this morning, to actually help support us in our work of people like Rubina, uh, who we're trying to help and we're trying to sort of find ways that they can actually help themselves out of both poverty 
but also out of those waste uh, issues that are there. How they can actually set up recycling hubs and see things as valuable that they can even make jobs out of this plastic that is there. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that all creation was made in him, through him, and for him. Father, we're sorry for those times that we have not maybe held your creation in as high a regard as what it should. That we haven't taken care of it, but just used it. Lord, we ask that you will help us to take better care of your creation and better care of those people who are most in need because they're affected by waste. We ask that you will help us to do this, we pray. Amen.